Welcome to the Internet. Live from the Marriott Library at the University of Utah, this is the Redline Podcast. I'm your host, quote, enjoys going through Turnstiles Dunstan, and these are my co-hosts. Kyle enjoys MagStripe MetroCards, Holland, and... Alex, can't think quick on my feet, Fielder. <laughs> Today we're discussing a classic fair payment debate. Should we use fair gates or proof of payment? All this after the news. Clipper, the Bay Area's iconic fair payment system, is scheduled to get a much-needed upgrade starting next year. After more than a decade of so-called closed-loop payment operations, wherein only Clipper cards could be used to pay for rides, the Bay Area is finally switching to open-loop. Riders will be able to tap their contactless credit and debit cards and use them as their fare cards, and there will be improvements to the way adding money to your Clipper card works. Hopefully, these will add to the seamlessness of travel in the Bay and increase ridership. Took them long enough. They've had a card-only system for a long time, which is very modern, but I don't know why they didn't do the tap cards sooner. Yeah, I know UTA used to have the tap card. Used to. I still don't understand why they got rid of it. Because they forgot to advertise. Yeah, and it was also back in the day before literally everyone had a tap card. They forgot to advertise it, and then no one used it because they forgot to advertise it. And because it was back in the day when not literally everybody had a tap card. True. I don't have a tap mm. card. Well, you, you probably don't. will once your current card expires. No. My so last card was a tap card. You got a new non-tap card? Uh-huh. From where? How? My bank. Why would they give you that? What do you need a tap card for? I almost a chip gu- in there. It's perfectly fine. I almost guarantee you they'll give you a tap card next time around. Maybe. Yeah. Now, they, they will. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh. I did get this card, like, less mm. than a year ago, so... That's weird. You're weird. What Thanks, bank? Out, out of interest? Capital Educators Credit Union. Oh. It's a Boise thing. That makes sense. Thing. Yeah, insert local credit union. Name drop my credit union. Now they have to pay me for ad space. That's exactly how that works. <laughs> okay. What am I doing? Do, 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 do. 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 <laughs> that was horribly off key. Mine, not not Alex's. Uh, introduction. <laughs> In most places where transit is anything resembling usable, you have to pay your way. The fare normally isn't very high, three or four dollars at most for local services, but it's expected that you pay to help support the system. And I have inserted a line here that says, "Time to relitigate fi- free fare." Inserted here, episode four. Kyle, what are your current thoughts on free fare? Probably a bad idea because you know insert government entity is not going to provide as much funding as fare would have provided. Alex, current thoughts on free fare? I would rather have to pay and have a better transit system. Spicy. Yeah, people, has, as has been shown in reality in the whole damn country, don't care that much about how much their transportation costs. Well, oh yeah, that's true. Cars are yeah. 72 cents Wicked expensive, yes. Wicked expensive. Yeah, I drove my car to Harvard Yard and it was wicked expensive to park it there because, and the gas was $42 a gallon. <laughs> I am also of the opinion that free fare is bad for a number of reasons. Um, namely, it doesn't actually do anything. Like I said, people don't really care how much their transportation costs. It increases ridership, but the ridership that it increases is ar- only among people who are already riding. So, yeah. you know, maybe maybe let's not. The difference between 0% of your current annual transportation costs and 10% of your current annual transportation costs is non... It doesn't matter. True. Okay, free fare has been successfully relitigated. Great. And we have completely reversed position. From where we were on the yeah in episode four, silly us for being optimistic. Yeah, we were we were yeah. but children then, and now we're hard and grizzled transit veterans who. <laughs> yeah. Um, tangential mm. discussion. What do you think is the healthiest percentage of 
operating expenses to be covered by Fairbox revenue for 200 percent agency. You know, that would be bloody cool. Uh, that's like Hong Kong. Specifically, so. specifically in the U.S. and Canada, because I know like in Japan or whatever, they're easily breaking 100 percent on some lines. But around here. I can tell you, for one, it's not the 15% that UTA got pre-pandemic. And it's not the 75% that Caltrain got. I would say 55, 60. Yeah, I think so, If you can manage it. Yeah. I was going to say around 60. Yeah. Because I think the New York subway gets about, like, 65, I want to say, operations and maintenance and capital. Cool. And capital, dang. Yeah. That's good. Well, I mean, look, you have 4 billion times 275, right? Maybe there are... Or however many people write it every year. For a system like that, um, capital expenditures start becoming a bit like highway capital expenditures, where they're essentially an operating cost. Six. Hold on, I'm trying to figure out how much money the MTA makes off of subway fares. A, A lot. Times 365... This is only theoretical, mind you. Uh, times. Yeah, there's all those unlimited ride oh, venture cards. Oh, it's now. You could just pull up the FTA thing. Uh, so in theory, they should make around five point three billion dollars a year on. Def- definitely a bit less. So that's a lot. <laughs> on the subway. Are we too lazy to just look up the actual? Fine, sheet I will numbers? look up the Federal Transit database. Yeah, I'm waiting. You guys find something else to talk about while I'm doing that. So fare capping, also very cool. Yeah. Monthly passes are a pain. Pay per ride gets really expensive really fast. (laughs) See Bart. See Bart, yeah. So having somewhere in the middle is uh, really nice and balances revenue from infrequent and frequent riders. City of Port Jervis. And also meshes great with using your contactless credit or debit card. <laughs> oh my gosh. L-M-N-O-P-Q-R. Sorry, this is harder to find than I There's thought. six pages in, of transit agencies in New York. Metro North Commuter Railroad. MTA New York City Transit. Okay. 2021 data... Uh, they made $3.4 billion off of fares, which is 40% of their operating measure. It should be noted cool. that this is post-pandemic. Yeah, what's 2019? 2019, 54% of their operating measure. That's When rough. I said MTA, I didn't mean subway and bus only. I also meant um, Metro North and Blur. Are those separate sheets? Yeah. Okay. Which is why I was saying, like, for the whole agency and not just for gotcha. assembly. So, anyway. Relatively healthy. Yes. That's a lot of money. <laughs> Crazy. I like money. Imagine how much money would be spent if all those people lived in a car-dependent place with the same population and drove literally everywhere. I don't have to imagine. It's terrifying. called Houston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is called Houston. Okay, uh, so there are also folks who have theorized that having to pay to get on board helps build writer citizenship, but I'm not sure how I feel about that. Prime it's, example, Philadelphia. <laughs> okay, counterexample. Every smaller transit system that has picked problem areas and put up a sign, sign saying paid fare area, like Portland does this a lot. Um, BART is trying out their new taller fare gates. It's, I don't think it's a solution to any sorts of tomfoolery or safety problems, but I think it contributes to... Having a lot of people th- who aren't paying fare is a safety problem. Yeah. So as part of a larger safety program, this is a good way to encourage people to behave in a civil manner on your system. We do, in fact, live in a society. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a good way to put it. <laughs> so the real difference between systems is whether they use proof of payment or controlled access payment. Hot take, most rail systems should probably use controlled access. Interesting. I was not expecting that from you, to be honest. I am, like, as a regular tracks rider, kind of bloody tired of the hot mess that is every single fare check that has ever happened. That's fair. And 
Yeah. <laughs> and also just looking geometrically at our systems, at our stations, it would not be very hard that at all hard, to put gates. downtown. Uh, no, that would have been pretty easy if we'd done it from the start, because we have rooms to make our platforms a bit longer. You can always do it L.A. style as well. Yeah, what does L.A. do? That. Make it a little longer. And then and put then the gates put on the, the ends. gates on the ends. Yeah, yeah, we could have totally done that without much trouble, and then just some fences around the sides of the track where they should have been anyways. Off to the races. So what is proof of payment? Well, it's quite simple, really. There are no fare gates, and you can, in theory, just walk onto the trainer bus without paying. There's just fare card readers and uh, paper ticketing systems in the general vicinity. Yes. However, if a cop or other fare checker asks you, you're required to produce... Drum roll, please. Proof of payment. Drum roll, please. Proof of payment. Thank you. <laughs> Or face a decently big fine in the low hundreds of dollars. Yeah, normally in the tens of dollars. Oh, okay. I thought like it was like 100 50, bucks. 75. But that's pretty damn big compared to paying fare. Yeah, you basically, yeah. I think what the general formula is, is that it should be at least as much to fare dodge, or what this is what transit agencies are doing. I'm not endorsing this. But <laughs> that the fine for fare dodging should be at least as much as a monthly pass. Yeah, that's probably fair. <laughs> and UCA also yeah. has a one warning system where they'll just like take your picture and put your ID in the system. And if they catch you the second time, then you get a fine. Hmm. Which is nice for some people who haven't figured out how tap cards work. Yeah. And uh, this like fair checking is supposed to happen relatively often. <laughs> And it would be supposed really to. nice if it's supposed to. Yeah, Alex supposed has the to. keywords there, yeah. And yeah. it would be really nice if it wasn't done by the people who hold the state monopoly on violence and generally have okay, negative who interactions. Who else are you going to do it by? And generally have negative ac- interactions with uh, poor and disadvantaged people. I mean, but you're also going to just, with having fair checkers in general, have ne- poor interactions with. Which is what I'm getting at, is there's not really a better way to do this than to have armed people come and bug people. Uh, I I would like to say, I think Seattle does a better job. What does Seattle it's do? Not, they have, like, actual fair checkers. Like, Who aren't no carrying weapons guns. weapons or anything. They, one thing is they don't do any discipline. They just take note of you. You can't really if you don't have the physical force to so back it like, up. So, like, also, yeah, why but... does Seattle not have fair gates is a really interesting question <laughs> for me. Given because that... it's a low-floor light oh, rail. light rail, yeah. <laughs> light rail. On, it's heavy rail on light rail tires or something. With light rail doors, light rail floors, light rail maintenance and operational problems, and light rail payment system. Yeah. On a line that sees 80,000 people in, like, a 20-mile line. Yeah. All right. Anyway. So, fair checking is a thing. It's, from what I understand, I don't know what the actual stats are. From what I understand, it's relatively effective at getting people to pay. There's always going to be a percentage of people who don't pay, and you can't this really is, get that up. This is disputed, actually. This is disputed. Whether, comp- what compliance actually is on proof of payment systems. Yeah, I guess it because is kind of hard to measure. Because often what we see is like, like in 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 Philadelphia, for example. Right, <laughs> I was reading that this is not because Philadelphia is a bad city. This isn't even about the subway, which is where most antisocial behavior on SEPTA occurs. This is on buses, right? And it costs, you know, per operating per ride, right? It's like three dollars per ride for the agency to run that. And their fare is say two fifty, and uh-huh. what we'll see is that per ride they are receiving something like one dollar in fares. That's a pretty. That's like forty percent payment rate. Well, well, there's if discount you consider, fares, if you consider if you consider discount fares and transfers, it means that like on average, at least a third of people in proof of payment systems are fare dodging at all times. That's pretty high. So. It's, and that's disputed, of course, because there's people who are like, no, da, 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 but 
I, I'm kind of of the opinion that there's probably at least a third of people always fair dodging and probably significantly higher on other proof of payment systems because I can state from personal experience on UTA that whenever the front runner cops come around to check fares once in a blue moon, they spend a lot of time in each car because like at least half is always just fair dodging. Whether they be students who didn't tap their card or people who just didn't pay. So... And fair enforcement can do little to, like, recoup this lost fare. It costs way more to try and recoup it than you're actually going to get back. And you can only do so much Well, to I don't know about that. Because, because I read this study from Portland where they yeah. saw that, like, every dollar spent on um, fair enforcement, you get $8 back. I... I mean specifically recouping fare that hasn't been paid after the fact, not just by increasing fare compliance. Uh, the $8 was also including, like, fines. Right. So, but anyway. I, I think if your fines are high enough, you can make up for the discrepancy of happen, people yeah. you don't catch. Yeah, but also, as Kyle was mentioning earlier, like, you know... Makes a lot of negative We'll, we'll, we'll get into this. We'll get into this. So... Proof of payment was pioneered in West Germany in the 1960s during labor shortages. The need to try and pay conductors to check fares in a country that relies heavily on regional rail services proved too costly and difficult. <laughs> UCA when they're underpaying train hosts instead of hiring conductors. Basically. Uh, so there are some benefits to proof of payment. Number one, lower station and bus capital costs. You don't have to build fare infrastructure. No, this is a big deal. Like, if you think about how you have to build stations when you install fare gates, you need, a lot of times, for higher traffic stations, big mezzanines, lots of fare gates, and that means all sorts of weird messing around. Like, you've been... That's fair. I guess I'm thinking in our little light rail bubble with low ridership stations. Yeah, you've been in, like... You've been in the Market Street subway. Those yeah. mezzanines are huge. Yeah. <laughs> um, another benefit, lower labor costs for fare collection. In theory, I will dispute this one. In theory, yeah. Because if you do enough fare checking for it to be effective, that costs a lot of money. Okay. Uh, more accessible stations. Fare gates of any type are often difficult for passengers with disabilities to negotiate. Period. End of sentence. That's true. I would like to delete your end of sentence because more modern fare gates are getting really good at this. Like the ones we saw on the Muni subway that just go like... And then they've got an extra this wide... Is true. That basically gives you an unobstructed... W- pathway. There's no door or anything. It just gets out of your way. And hell, even the BART accessible ones are functionally the same thing. So they can be designed to be basically a non-barrier. But again, this comes with expensive stations and complicated layouts. Yes. Yeah. And then... I think to get the... Sorry, I think to get the really accessible fare gates, the ones that open up like doors... I think you would still need more enforcement than you have for s- turnstiles. Because I think you would get more people going Just in popping. groups at a time. Unless you have full yeah. height ones. Because like, yeah. what they're starting to pioneer in a lot of places is like ones that are basically just a door, right? Like full mm-hmm. height goes all the way up so you can't really get over it. Whereas with like classic turnstiles or the regular like half height fare gates... You can just go over extraordinarily easy to get through them, yeah. Yeah. So the main issue, really, at this point is timing when the door opens and closes so, like, two people can't just, like, hug and sneak through. Well, I mean, look, at that point, (laughs) what you going to do? Yeah, but... You're always going to get some of that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then the final one, this is on buses, right? Because we're talking about this in our heads as though this is only a rail issue, but proof of payment versus controlled access payment on buses is actually a thing. Oh, yeah, that's huge. Because if you have proof of payment on your bus, like all the muni buses, you can do all door boarding. Boarding which is so much easier. Your bus up and makes life easier for everyone. Yeah. Especially when you have a trillion people on every freaking bus. Yeah. So. Yeah. I- I imagine that's a benefit. I just don't think I've ever seen enough people riding a bus to, <laughs> well, to really even, 
even at the regular stops, because like say one out of every seven people doesn't have their payment card ready or needs to like, f- actually the people with coins are pretty good, needs to fiddle around with something, <laughs> that significantly slows down what could be open doors, step on, closed doors, hit, hit the gas. So yeah, I, I, would, I think that's that's a skill issue though. If you don't have your card ready, that's just it is a hard skill just, issue. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure. But I do see the benefit for sure. Yeah, if especially you, with more ridership. You should go to uh, San Francisco or New York with me, and we should ride some buses together. And you will see the pain of riding buses in large cities where everyone should just be taking the damn train, and. <laughs> Yeah, buses are bad at uh, capacity, and this is one way to make them substantially better Even when, like, I don't know, what does a 30 Stockton run? Like, every, like... Two seconds. Every There's, like, a Probably bus, like, every minutes, five or six minutes, minutes at, at worst, and every bus is just packed and makes every single stop all the way. It is excruciating, and I would always just get off in Chinatown to take the subway. It'd be funny if they consolidated the stops at, at all. Couldn't do that because that would be bad. Okay. Um, cons, as we discussed, much higher rates of fare evasion, potential issues with racial profiling in regards to enforcing and fares. And not just racial, the classic American economic class profiling, which we use as a proxy for racial profiling. You look half the time. poor. <laughs> okay, moving on to controlled access. Uh, essentially the opposite of proof of payment. Physical and official barriers to writing without fare explicitly exist. So to clarify, this means that there's no need to fare check at all. Because I mean, you can't. There, sh- there shouldn't be a need to, right? Because yeah. if you have... There's theoretically no way to get onto your system without paying. Except the funny doors at the, on the New York subway that people hold open all the time. Yeah, or <laughs> jumping the turnstile, or doing something that's already illegal. But, so, like, there's no... There shouldn't be a need for fair checking, and often, in cases like the New York subway, it's going to be literally impossible to fair check, mm-hmm. because once you've paid, you don't carry proof of payment with you. Right, and, I mean, on BART, you can still check for proof of payment because mm-hmm. there's an exit fare. Oh, yeah, gotcha. But, you know... No As opposed need. to an entrance. With an exit fare? So, oh, this is something I actually should have written down it, here. Is but it like a toll road then? BART has distance-based fare, so your fare de- changes depending on which stations you get on and yeah, all so when you tap Yeah, so when you tap in and the little gate slides open, you're not actually paying anything, but when you tap out to get out, that's when you're actually paying your fare. This is another reason Makes sense. Um, controlled access would be great for something like Front Runner, which has the same distance-based fares. Ugh. And UTA's current threat is if you tap on, but you don't tap off at your exit station, you pay, full fare. You pay maximum fare, which is a lot. It's like $12, yeah. isn't it? Maximum one way is like 10 bucks, I think. Let me look it up real quick. Okay. Got to get accurate numbers or something. I want to see just like how horrific this would be. So... They've put in a pretty solid threat to make sure people do tap off, but as a user of that system, I really wouldn't mind insurance of always having to go through the gate. Okay, so yeah. there's 16 stops. Oh my god, there's a fare matrix on the right side of that. Is there? Yeah, scroll up. <gasps> that's reduced. Oh, I never knew there was a... Oh, that's a fare pay matrix. Uh, you can look at the, you can look at the, the cash one. Frontrunner Fair Matrix. I never knew they made one of these. Really? You've just been suffering? Uh, $9.70. $9.70. Oh! On the Utah Transit Authority. Blech. Oof. You wouldn't catch me dead paying that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, physical and official barriers. So in rail stations, this normally takes the form of a turnstile or other type of fare gate. Riders have to tap, slide, or insert their ticket for validation in order to pass through and enter the paid area slash transit station. On buses, riders are required to enter through the driver door to present their form of fa- payment, whether cash or a smart card or some other thing. Or a the, pile of coins. Or a pile of coins. I gotta say, the people who just walk onto the bus with a handful of coins and drop them in the slot have their shit They together. are more efficient that than me sometimes. That may actually take less time than waiting for the card tap to register. Are you suggesting we were to burn to tokens? Tempting. Uh, it is tempting. Tempting. 
when you're when you when you sign up for your U card for the year, they also just give you like a big a bag giant of gallon tokens. Ziploc baggie Here, full here's of your tokens. transit tokens for the year. <laughs> Good luck. Um, So there are some pros to this. Number one, much lower rates of fare evasion on rail. People can still, in theory, jump turnstiles, but doing so is explicitly antisocial behavior in a way that simply walking onto a train without paying is not. This is true. This is the same reason a lot of businesses and homes can secure themselves with giant glass doors and um, easily circumventable locks and stuff like that. And how um, some even parking areas will secure themselves with these flimsy plastic gates. And how even uh, grade crossings have the flimsy plastic gates. Because there's a very strong mental barrier between her dear, let me just walk over here and let me actively destroy property to get over here. Or like do something that other people are going to see me doing that is illegal. Yeah, so that makes a huge mental barrier for little physical effort. I've never thought about it that way, but that's... Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so Fairgate, basically a quiet zone rail crossing. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, there is essentially no unsanctioned fare evasion on buses. Yeah, because it would be really awkward if you just tried well, to you, walk past the bus driver. It's not going to happen. The bus driver's going to be like, Hey! Hey! What you doing? Pay your fare! Hey! And then suddenly all the other passengers have a negative view of you, and also the bus is not moving. In my experience, the bus driver just won't let you on. Yeah. They're just like, fair. I've seen some instances of the bus driver just sitting there and not moving. I like that. I like that passive-aggressive. Yeah. (laughs) And you also know that they're one. I've only tried this once. (laughs) And, uh... I got away with it, thankfully, because I, I lost my wallet and phone. Oh, awkward. So I got really lucky. Um, so you got to get home to get your wallet no, and phone? No, it was locked in a building on campus. Oh, yeah, I remember this. I remember this. That's awkward. Well, yeah. There's another probably, as Kyle was talking about earlier, probably an exception made for students who just walk onto the bus from a campus stop because it's sort of assumed that you are a student and have paid already. And also there's so many people boarding and the bus driver just really doesn't Probably want to doesn't wait. Notice. Although, speaking of controlled access, a number of the on-campus high ridership uh, primarily pickup bus stops would be a good case geometrically for controlled access and off-board fare payment. I mean, yeah. Although, you don't really control access to a bus like that. You could. Bit weird. It seems like, yeah, it is a bit weird, I will say. But you've so. met you students. They're not going to tap their card. True. We really got to, like, that should be a U-true, prior, U-true student's priority is just having, like, stickers everywhere that say, tap your damn card. Or hot take, UT- UTA could enforce it because them's the rules. Uh, even enforcing it wouldn't do anything because it, it wouldn't because they only ever check in one area. You know what that area is. <laughs> yeah, but the number of commuter, I guess commuter <laughs> students are probably better at paying. So, yeah, they'd have to check downtown at all, ever, which they don't. Yeah. Man, they're really just trying to catch poor people, aren't they? A little bit. This is why we don't necessarily like proof of payment. Yeah. Controlled access is a great way to enforce fare without creating these negative and potentially dangerous interactions. interactions yeah. Uh,. Number three, greater sense of security in theory. Maybe we'll get to it later. In theory, but then again, this is the usual talking point of a sense of security is in many cases almost as good as actual security. Yeah, but in this case it doesn't work. You've been on BART. Yeah, but it probably helps. I don't know. We saw those guys busting open the fair gates in Fruitvale. Okay, once they make the fair gates not shit. (laughs) This is true. Because I do wonder what proportion of uh, troublemakers on BART hop the fair gates. I would wager it's a not low percentage. So if the fair gates weren't Given shed, that it is so extremely easy to hop the fair gates on BART. Like, if you think it's easy <laughs> on the New York subway, which it is, it is magnitudes of order easier on BART. So once BART finally gets around to fixing that, we can remove a large chunk of these troublemakers. In theory. The number of troublemakers will go down through some means or other. By how much? Completely up for debate. True. Um, Number four, more accurate counts of paying passengers and passengers in general. This is something really great about BART is they can tell you 
the day of exactly how many people have entered and exited their stations. Uh, yeah, that's, that's nice. Uh, UTA could do that, too, with the train door sensors. They just don't. Well, and that's not quite as accurate. It's not. It's still pretty good, though. It's pretty good. It's pretty but good. It's, it's perfect. It's certainly and good. And as enough. a statistics weirdo, I need perfection. Uh, the interesting thing from a statistics <laughs> perspective is UTA uses what little tap card data they actually get from the people who can be bothered to tap their cards um, to figure out trips people make. Because if you make a trip on the transit network with your one tap card, the transit agency knows where you went. Which is a bit creepy, but in theory, the aggregate and anon- well, anonymous. Well, they don't like know who you are. Yeah, they're not going to be like, hmm, Kyle Holland, holder of a U card, went here, 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 here. They and do here. actually know that, yes. But they're not going to like. As far as agents, as far as agencies that have access to this sort of data, they're probably one of the most likely to properly anonymize yeah. and aggregate. But that aside, they will use that sort of data to f- get much more accurate and useful insights than just boardings and alightings at a given point. And if everybody has to do, like, BART-style payment, then voila, you have that data for everybody. Save Ray. Uh-huh. Yeah, that is kind of fun because you can... Well, I mean, everybody already knows where all BART passengers are going to. Yeah. They're going to... If they're coming from one of... 50 stations, they are going to one of six stations. And if they are coming from one of six stations, they are going to one of 50 stations. Well, on the other hand, I'm curious if this helped inform their recent service reallocation around evening service. It did on the uh, yellow line. There you go. So, because, you know, the yellow line now Mm. has 10-minute service all day. Yeah, there you go. So that's useful for stuff like that. And on uh, systems that are more complicated than BART, no offense to BART, even more useful. Yeah, it it sounds like it could be worth just being able to have that data. Yeah, and not to mention the absolute disaster you save yourself from by requiring everybody to get a card because you don't have to accommodate cash payment at the point of boarding. You can accommodate cash payment at a ticket machine somewhere at a different time, which is a lot easier. Uh, I don't know. I think you should always allow cash payment on buses. Probably. Yeah. Like from a... Accessibility perspective. Yeah. From a, I got five bucks, then I'll have a card. I don't know, where do I get a card? Card costs five dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's probably a case to no, be made for uh, that, but... No, they, they should always take cash. Yeah, they should always, I, yeah. Just always. C- cash, if you don't take cash, that's kind of... Is it a real business? Yeah, discriminating against a group of cash, people? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not saying they shouldn't well, take cash. They should always take cash. Although I think what's up for debate is when and how we take the cash. Concept. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on to the cons of this. It can be difficult for persons with disabilities if specific exhibit, accommodations are not exhibit made. Exhibit A, the New York City subway. Yeah, no, it's bad. Horribly inaccessible. If there's even an elevator, then you have to, like, Ask well, if somebody. there's an elevator, there's normally a... An actually accessible turnstile? I think so. Well, anyways, maybe you have a stroller and you and you and your part, your tall gay partner carried it down the staircase or whatever. <laughs> You're making a reference to the Twitter post I read you earlier in the podcast? Yes. <laughs> now we're going to have to put it up on screen so people know what I'm talking, we're talking about. Anyways, but if for any number of reasons you can't fit through one of the ye olde New York subway turnstiles, you have to go ask somebody to open this entire special door just for you, which is a a decently big barrier compared to what everybody else is doing, which is just zooming on through the gates. Not anymore with the... You, he made a Metro card sliding motion, <laughs> which was very good, Ouch. I will say, but now Omni has destroyed yeah, that action forever. Fair enough. And then the exact opposite of that is insert vaguely modern Metro system and even BART, where you have just... Yeah. Or breep, breep. Real wide fare gates that just open fully and provide the person an unobstructed path, an unobstructed path through. What's really weird is the Muni ones that go both ways and they just open automatically or if you're on the other side. Yeah, those are kind of cool. I like those. So, 
Uh, number two, more expensive station construction and design. You need much larger mezzanines on subway stations, especially. This is primarily an issue for high volume stations and underground stations. Mm. Above ground stations, not too hard because you have like your ground level I mean, mezzanine. Mezzanine isn't that hard, yeah, on the ground. Okay. Yeah, so this is not really an issue for elevated stuff. It's a massive issue for subways, though. And if you have an at grade light rail system, you're probably not pushing enough volume to need extra space. Unless you are Los Angeles or um, San Diego, maybe Portland back in the old days. Yeah, maybe. I mean... I'm not sure Portland's pushing enough frequency for that to be too much of an issue. And L.A. should have just built a metro. Central Corridor. They see 12 trains an hour. In terms and there's going to be eight trains an hour on the Beaver. In terms of moving people into Fairgates, like on the side where you're entering the platform and you have to do the payment action, I don't think that's pushing enough frequency for that volume to be too much of a problem. <gasps> oh, I see what you mean. Okay, I, I was thinking you were like, okay, never mind. Never mind. Ignore everything I just said. Okay. Um, and then number three problem is more labor costs on bus because buses run slower when you have to pay fare. That's true. So. And generally worse, slightly worse bus service. Yeah, well, because, you know, the slower buses run, the more they cost to run and at the any worse given they frequency. Are. The worse they are, therefore, yada, yada, yada. So making buses faster is one of the better investments that any transit agency slash city streets department can make. So true. So, why are we talking about this right now? Yeah, because why are we? You wrote this. I did write this. A great question, <laughs> me. Um, <laughs> a number of agencies that previously relied on proof of payment systems are switching to controlled access where possible, and others are beefing up their fare gates in hopes of increasing security or uh, fare box recovery. I wonder how much of this is just um, like what BART is doing with their double height fare gates that are two BART fare gates on top of each other. How much the, how much of this is like, let's try and make passengers feel safer by making it harder for people to fare dodge? And how much of it is light rail systems and metro on light rail tire systems that just did proof of payment just because they felt like it, that's what everyone else was doing, and they really should have done controlled access to begin with, and they're just recently getting this kick in the pants. Mostly the former. That makes sense. So, St. Louis Metro, uh, concerns over safety on St. Louis Metrolink system have prompted the agency to begin looking into installing fare gates at a number of high-traffic stations, starting, of course, in very low-income St. Louis, perhaps the most rust belt populated <laughs> city in the country. Oof. Uh, the idea is that by installing fare rates, there will be a more secure environment on board, prompting more people to choose to ride. Probably true. I... How true exactly? How much of an improvement? We'll see. Is it worth it? Maybe, probably maybe not. Probably not. They're going to spend like $60 million on this. Yeah, probably not. <sighs> For... so, so when you say um, at like a certain number of high traffic stations, you how... That means you have to do the exact same amount of fair enfor yep. enforcement on the line, right? Yep. Correct. But the idea is so that it, it still prevents these are, people from entering. These are quote problem stations, unquote. This With would be four like people near this them. this would be like if for for local listeners, this would be like if UTA decided we're going to install fair gates, but only at Ballpark. Old Greek Town, Ballpark, Jackson Euclid and Fair Jackson Euclid Fair Park and Midvale Fort Union. And every other station is going to remain exactly the same. Yeah, so they're spending a lot of money on a weird retrofit and only theoretically gaining the, like, smallest benefit of controlled access. Yes. Yeah, I, I feel like it doesn't become more cost-effective until you do the whole line, Precisely. the whole system. Well, and they're going and to do... And it becomes... Well, sorry, it also becomes more complicated for people who end up getting off at a different station oh, or getting on at a different station. And that's so weird. And they are eventually going to do the whole thing, but it's like a four-phase plan that's going to take like 10 years. Yeah, because they can't find all the money for it right now. Correct, because nobody wants to 
give an agency $60 million to install fare gates on a light rail system that sees like 20,000 daily riders. (laughs) (laughs) On the plus side, they won't need many fare gates. Yeah, you could probably just put like two per station. Like <laughs> this is the this is the street running tracks. Theory except at like except at like Grand and Central West End, you could put like two fare gates at each station and be fine. Great. Uh, number two, Bart. Bart is taking similar steps by beefing up its own fare gate system by stacking fare gates. They're going to have <laughs> the same fare gates, but there will be two of them on top of each other instead of just the one. And they're also messing with the air pressure, so you can't just squeeze the gates open. Yeah, which I think we saw once. Probably. I remember Apparently that. it happens a lot. <laughs> it, I, yeah. So, um, they have a similar hope to St. Louis, especially since they're struggling with a rather serious safety and ridership crisis all of their own. Thoughts? Yeah. Um, I reckon Bart. I think that makes more sense. Yeah, I agree because they're already mm-hmm. reaping all the benefits of not having to do fair enforcement and having. Except they are doing fair enforcement. Oh, great. <laughs> they are. Yeah. Why? Because. Why? People keep hopping the gates. People hop the gates so much. Um, because for this change, they will be able to reap the benefits of not having to do fair enforcement. And they have actual evidence that people are regularly fair dodging and then causing trouble. Hmm. Uh, well, it, I think it makes more sense for Bart than for oh, not to mention the right St. Louis right. Metro. Yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that a, one of the country's busiest heavy rail metro systems, which sees even post-pandemic like two hundred thousand riders a day. Um, is probably more fitting place to have fare gates than St. Louis Metrolink, which before the pandemic had like 35,000 riders in a day. <laughs> a very simple cost benefit here. Yeah. Uh, and then there are two agencies which I were able to find that are doing it for fare evasion purposes rather than like, you know, <laughs> quote, safety, unquote, uh, MBTA. The Massachusetts Bay Transit Authority has been working on adding fare gates to its highest traffic commuter rail stations after a huge rise in non-paying riders during the pandemic. They hope to save up to $30 million per year in fare evasion costs after making the initial investment. Whew. Yeah. Now that's a cost-benefit analysis I can get behind. Meanwhile, St. Louis, (laughs) I don't know, let's put some of these by poor people and see if it makes anything better. (laughs) Yeah. Let's see, put them that, at Jackson, you can see if that makes tracks better. <sighs> Unlikely. <laughs> I, I feel like that makes a lot more sense specifically on commuter rail, because people are more likely to only go to their station. Right, and they're like putting these... Because it is commuter rail? They're That's putting these true. at like north, south, and back bay, which are just like the three destination stations Smart. on Boston's commuter rail network. And not to mention commuter rail fares are generally quite a bit higher than local transit fares, so there's a lot of incentive for people who wouldn't otherwise fare dodge to fare dodge. Well, you don't want to pay your Mm -hmm. 972 or whatever to get from Ogden to Provo, so... Not really, no. (sighs) I'm enjoying not having to. Riding from Ogden to Provo a lot? Not having to pay for it. Oh, I see. Nothing wrong with riding from Ogden to Provo a lot. Um, so I, this this one so far sounds like by far the best return on investment, which is again what fair enforcement is all about is getting more money relative oh. to the amount you're spending on whatever your enforcement scheme is. So true, bestie. Yeah, um, I I can get behind that. And then the final example I have is the Wamada. DC Metro is working to rework their fare gates to cut down on rampant fare evasion. Whether well, those just easy to hop. They're BART. Oh. They're the same. That's hilarious. Mid-century metro systems all have the same fare gates. Are they going to make them double height? I I think they're going to make modern fare gates instead of doing what BART is doing, so that'll be good. Probably because they have a budget. Just like the glass swingy kind with the plexiglass that they have like in London. Does anybody ever like army crawl under the BART fare gates? I feel like you could probably do that. Feels like a lot of effort when it's really easy to both hop and pull them apart. Yeah, and it'd probably be a bit too slow. (laughs) Yeah. Because then the station agent might catch you. Yeah. When they're too busy looking up from their phone or whatever. <laughs> hmm. So. Well, it makes more sense. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I think my opinion is fare gates on trains 
no fare gates on buses because the benefits outweigh the costs on rail and the costs outweigh the benefits on buses. So I think that like you should have all door boarding and all that sort of crap on buses and God's most secure fare gate on your train. Probably, yeah. My only concern about that is it's a solid concept, but from like a revenue perspective, buses are a transit agency's like second most expensive thing to operate behind paratransit and maybe microtransit. Um, and rail is one of the cheaper ones. So like right, each instance of fare evasion on a bus does a lot more damage than it does on a train. I mean... Yeah, but also when you're operating a bus, you're expecting it to be subsidized because you can't make a bus profitable. Yeah, but like in terms of just the vacuum that is return on investment on fare enforcement. Mm. I wonder if some sort of hybrid approach would ever be appropriate where some routes are all door boarding and some aren't. I mean, but at that, that point, that's be just confusing. like... Yeah, and you're also going to get people really ticked off because yeah. you're going to... Because you know that all the routes that go through, like, insert, Rose Park are insert. going to not have all-door boarding, but all the door, all the routes that go through the avenues will have all-door boarding because yeah, racism. Yeah, a terrible idea. I agree. So you kind of have to have it one way, I think. Yeah. You can't do, you can't do the St. Louis thing of putting it in poor places. <laughs> yeah. Although there probably is a breaking point in terms of, like, transit agency scale. At which you should switch from from front door operator checks to all door boarding. Not See, sure UTA has hit that. I don't think they have. Except well, maybe on the two. I think con <laughs> controlled access is better for buses, and if you're worried about the amount of time it takes um, to do that, you can speed up the bus in other factors, having bus lanes or better. I don't know, just better streets, better um, designed bus infrastructure, and just speed it up that way and ensure you get the money. Yeah, I think I like this idea of a breaking point. Like, for UTA, it almost certainly doesn't make sense to do this, whereas for Muni, they, like, physically have to. Otherwise, their buses would go four miles an hour on average instead of eight miles an hour on average. So somewhere in there, your transit agency gets high enough per route mile or whatever ridership that you, like, can't sustain front door only boarding with fare checks. And when you get to that yeah. point, maybe uh, you should consider building more subway lines so this concept. is no longer a problem. Yeah, <laughs> so if so maybe just Muni should have this and nobody else should. Or maybe they should consider yeah. building the rest of the stupid central subway in the Curie Boulevard line. <laughs> For a cost of $10 billion. It would be worth it. It would get the ridership. Oh, goodness. New York part two. New York of New York Le West. <laughs> Le West version. How do you say that in French? New York de l'Ouest. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is the New York of the West. New York, New York. It's a hell of a town. Mm-hmm. Uh somebody else wanna read the outro because I'm trying to pull up Patreon. Thanks. Alex. Um sure. Uh, please remember to like, comment, and subscribe if you're listening on YouTube, and follow or leave us a rating on iTunes and Spotify. If you like what we do here, please consider becoming a member of Patreon. Patrons receive access to exclusive content, early access to our regular content, merch drops, and access to our exclusive Patreon Discord. Speaking of patrons... We have Zach at Super Duper, Trooper, Looper, Goober, <laughs> Fairgates... Glooper, Blooper... Uper duper uh, front runner tier. We have Zach Adams, sixty nine point six nine dollars per month. At all of that minus the Farragates tier, we have <laughs> generic GT at thirty five dollars <laughs> per month. At regular front runner tier, ten dollars a month, we have Curtis Herring, Devin Zander, McKay Ransom, Mike Christensen, and Phobos two three nine zero. And at our $5 per month tier, our redline tier, we have Brian Smith, Christopher Whaley, DJ... Hi, Will. Oh, man. Watkins, thank you. <laughs> Elijah Kensler, Jacob Whitecotton, Jesse Mayo, Reluctant LA Resident, and Robert P. Walsh. At our blue line tier, $3, we have Alex Dykowski, Ben Busath, 
Bradley Bondi, Ethan McDonald, Evelyn, G4, Gonzo12, John Heron Gorman, Martin Hector Martinez, Matt Gray, Seth, and Zach Verstott. <laughs> were you waiting for me to... <laughs> no, I was trying to figure out which one's for the, which tier. Oh, I see. Because I'm stupid. And then uh, at um, the grind tier, green line. Grinding in the moonlight. Yeah, we have <laughs> Capheel, I think, and Benjamin Wood. Thank you all. We appreciate gang, the support. Yeah, thank you. Budget go burr. Budget do, in fact, go burr. Uh, anybody have any plugs? Um, British plugs are pretty cool. <laughs> uh, I, I have, agree with that I have two plugs. Number one, if you are a student at any college in the Wasatch Front, number one, tap your fare card to stop Kyle and I from arguing about it. And number two, <laughs> join you true students so that your train will be better. Yeah, good or bus. plan. And if you don't live in Utah, well, join your local advocacy organization or start one. Yeah, and if you're not on the Wasatch Front and you're in Cache Valley... That is the Wasatch Front in my head still. Do you consider that the Wasatch Front? I don't think it's a question of considering. It's, it's a question of where the damn mountains are. Yeah, it's on the other side the of Wasatch the Wasatch Front. The Wasatch Front is a... Yeah. Yeah, it's on the. Enough. I'll take it. Uh, I, I know. I, I, don't, I don't think so, but... Fair. That's just because you have to go over a pass to get to it. Yeah, I'll count wherever the mountains are. Damn, I lose. Yeah. No, you actually won because Alex and you outvoted me with the not part of the front. Wait, I thought I was on the side of it is part of the front. Oh, wait, then you also win because you're on my side. <laughs> you I stay you winning. <laughs> Make your plug now. Okay, well, <laughs> well I was just going to say, if you're a USU student, uh, you should join. YouTube students. Absolutely. We're going to try and get something going up here. We're doing stuff. I... I have another pug. I have another podcast. It's better than this one. Hey. That's not your <laughs> fault. It's my fault. I'm the one who writes it. Okay. Um, it's called Daughters <laughs> of Ferrix. My friend spends a lot of time working on it, and I am there and act like a dumb idiot. So go listen to it. Where do we, where do we find it? Everywhere. Great. Except everywhere podcasts are available. Everywhere for consumption. podcasts are sold. Yeah. <laughs> also follow us on Twitter. Shitter. Shitter. Uh, <laughs> get it? Because he made it worse. Um, no, follow <laughs> us on Blue Sky and slash or Twitter at the Red Line underscore Pod. Hi. If it's on Blue Sky, it's dot Blue Sky dot Social. <laughs> Because reasons. <laughs> because turns out there's multiple websites with apps, not just Twitter. No way. Just soy. <laughs> okay, that's all well, I got. Goodbye, go away. 